Today's passage is actually a passage that we read last week, but it is so profound and so radically counter to the majority of American Christianity uh, that I thought we needed to dive deeper into it. It includes one of Jesus' most famous statements. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Though many Christians know that statement from Jesus, many really have no idea what it means. So I would, li- I would like for us to explore what that means Today, we're going to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Verses 31 through 38. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for these words. Thank You for Your Word, both the written Word and the living Word, who is Your Son. And Father, it is only because of your Son that we are here today. We are here to honor Him and to worship Him, to glorify Him and be changed by Him. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to do that in us right now. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Peter's objection to Jesus' talk about suffering makes perfect sense to us. You and me, we don't like suffering either. And we don't like talk of suffering. makes us uncomfortable. We don't like it. But Peter especially didn't like it in regards to Jesus. You see, Peter expected Jesus to be the kind of Messiah who would save his people from suffering. So Jesus' talk about having to suffer, that he must suffer, well, this sent Peter into a tailspin. And we too, here today, 
We would like some answers to the question of suffering. We would. Our current society that we live in is a world of play-pretend. It's a play-pretend world. We pretend as though we're going to live forever. Death is rarely spoken of. We pretend like we're just going to live forever. And we pretend as though we can escape suffering, that there are ways out, ways out of suffering. And real suffering and real death are not topics we virtually ever talk about. We don't ever talk about suffering or death. You see, that'll get us thrown right out of our cocktail parties. We cannot talk about it. And so this play-pretend world that we're in of social media and where we're, it's just numbing our brains to the reality of suffering and death around us, that works for a while. It works for a little while. But sooner or later, someone or something will deeply hurt us. Deeply hurt us. And when that happens, well, then we turn to society's answers for suffering. Some believe they can medicate their way out of pain. Some believe they can drink their way out of pain. Some expect the government to help us with our pain. They can at least protect us. Some look to their wealth that they have accrued to help them. And some seek power to protect themselves from suffering. And still others cry out for religion, for religion to help them. Convinced that God wants to save them from suffering, just as Peter, they insist on a religion or a church that avoids the cross. A church that only uplifts, that's only encouraging that only promises victory and triumph. I had a, a friend of mine at my last church at Connect, Connect Church in Gunnersville. He was young, in his late 20s, and he came down with terminal cancer. And he became a Christian soon after. And I would eat with him all the time, and he became a close friend of mine, but... After about a year or so of trying to battle this, he, he got some really, really bad news from the doctor. And we were, we were sitting at a restaurant, and he, just, he was just crying, talking to me about this. He said, Dustin, I just, I don't understand. If God doesn't heal me of this cancer, what's the point of being a Christian? What's the point in, in following him? And I said to him what I'm about to say to you through the rest of this sermon today. And this is what I told him. I said, as tempting as it is for us to try and avoid the Garden of Gethsemane, as tempting as it is for us to ignore Good Friday and head straight for the triumph of Easter's empty tomb. My friend, we are those who follow a crucified king.
we follow the way of the cross. You see, in stark contrast to the world's and religion's theology of glory, where God is just supposed to make everything better and better and better, we're supposed to go up and up and up and up the ladder until we finally reach glory. In stark contrast to that, we are those who proclaim a theology of the cross. We follow a crucified Savior. And so, as His followers, we too are walking the road to Golgotha. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus told His disciples on the night one of them betrayed Him. And you know, He wasn't just talking to His disciples. No, He was talking to you and to me. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have crosses to carry. Now, very few churches today Use that as a recruitment pitch. It just doesn't have the same ring as live your best life now. That sounds a lot better. That sells a lot more books, doesn't it? Then follow Jesus and die with him. That doesn't have this, quite the same ring to it. It doesn't sell quite as many books. But Jesus makes it clear again and again and again that His way is the way of the cross. Now, when Jesus tells us that troubles, they are a-coming, He isn't simply being realistic, just warning us not to get our expectations too high. No, that's not what He's doing. Jesus is promising us That trouble is a good thing. That trouble is a good thing for us. It is not something to be avoided on your way to glory. No, in fact, the glory is in the suffering. The glory is in the suffering. Do you remember how he closes the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You see, folks, our crosses are our blessings. They are our blessings. Now, you won't find that stitched into many pillows at the Christian bookstore. But it is what our master said. It is true. Our crosses are our blessings. But how could that be? How can suffering be a blessing? Well, let's explore what taking up your cross actually means. Jesus helps us here. Number one in your outline. It means this. Taking up your cross means denying yourself. Denying yourself. 
Look at verse 34. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, what does it mean to deny yourself? Well, during the season of Lent, you guys are probably fairly familiar with this. During Lent, you will hear of Christians denying themselves of certain kinds of food or of certain luxuries or certain pleasures. Even fasting has come back into vogue for Lent. Imagine that. We don't have the time right now to discuss the benefits uh, and dangers of such customs, but because Jesus really is not talking about those things at all. Notice he does not say, deny yourself this thing or that thing. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, deny your self. Deny your self, period. You see, Jesus is saying so much more here than give up Facebook for Lent. No, rather, he's saying give up your very self. Give up who you are. Give it up. Lay it down. Deny your inborn thoughts, desires, and wants. Jesus goes on to explain things in more detail. Let's look at verse 35. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. My inborn desires want what's best for me at all times. (laughs) The instinct for self-preservation to put me first at all times and in all situations. But Jesus is saying here that by following that natural desire within me, I ironically lose everything. The desire to gain everything ironically loses me everything. I lose my life, my soul, my wants, my desires, everything. I lose it all. So Jesus says, deny it, lay it down, kill it, deny yourself. Never put yourself first in any situation. For whoever loses his life, for whoever loses his self, is what Jesus is saying there. Whoever loses his self for me and the gospel will save it. And Jesus goes even farther. Read verse 36 with me. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that even if putting yourself first could gain you the whole world, the whole world, with all of its riches, all of its joys, all of its pleasures, all of its power, all of its fame, if putting yourself first could get you all of that, it still isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. 
The irony is, by gaining all of those things and putting yourself first, you have lost your soul. You have lost yourself. And when Jesus asks, what can be given in exchange for your soul? In verse 37. He's not talking about some occult contract or deal with the devil. He's talking about the day-to-day decisions you and I make. So let me ask you, do your daily choices in life deny yourself? Or do they exchange your soul for the convenience of this world? What Jesus is doing here is he's actually giving us a preview of the two greatest commandments. The two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's what he's doing here. This is a preview. And we'll get to those two greatest commandments just a few chapters over in Mark. You see, we deny ourselves when we put others before ourselves. When others, when our neighbor becomes more important to us than we are to ourselves. Isn't that what the Lord calls us to do in whatever role he's given us as husband or wife, parent or child, student or worker, as citizen and church member? He calls on me to put aside my selfish wants and desires and put forward my spouse, my family, my children, my job, my neighbor, my congregation. He is calling me to lay myself, my very self, to the side so that I can put you first. But here's an important distinction. You must deny yourself and place your neighbor ahead of yourself on the priority list. Not not to get praised for your self-sacrifice or to be counted a good person. You can't do it for those reasons. That's not denying yourself. (laughs) That's indulging your selfish desire for thanks, appreciation, and attaboys. It's nothing but sin. (laughs) You see? So you can obey the commandment and sin the whole way because you've done it with evil and selfish motivations. You must put your neighbor first with genuine love for neighbor as the motivation. That is the command. You can't just act loving towards your neighbor. You must actually love them. Actually love them. This is a cross we must bear. But the cross that Jesus is asking us to bear gets heavier. It gets even heavier than that. You see, we've talked about denying our selfish desire to be number one in all situations and in all places. We've talked about that. But even deeper in our souls is an even more selfish desire than to be number one. And that desire is not to make ourselves right with God, but to make God right with us. 
to have his ways match our ways. For God to meet our worldly standards of morality. Rather than serving God, we want God to serve us. We want God to be our butler. To serve us and to help us with our agenda. In essence, we really want to be God. The real God is only there to serve us. We want to run the show. We want to call the shots. And Jesus is saying, friends, you must kill that. You must deny that desire in yourself. For they are the opposite of loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's the opposite. They are the opposite of fearing, loving, and trusting God above all things. But as we battle to deny this way of thinking, whew, and what a battle it is, this desire to deal with God by our standards, this wanting God to operate on our terms, as we deny those desires and wants, more and more and more crosses come. More crosses come. Crosses like the following. We face the early death of a loved one. And we ask, why God? Why? Or we see a family member lingering and suffering. And ask, why God, don't you take them sooner? We see disaster or tragedy strike good people. And we ask, God, how? Could you allow this? We see churches who faithfully proclaim God's word and we see them struggle. And yet we see other churches proclaim pure heresy and they seem to thrive. And we ask God, why? Aren't you in control? And how often do past sins creep back into our conscience to accuse us? Especially when we're faced with trouble. And we wonder, did this happen to me because God is finally giving me my due for the wrong I've done? And what about the cross that is the ongoing realization that I am nothing but dust and ashes? That even my most righteous acts are filthy rags. That I can't carry my cross even two feet without stumbling and falling. And that since the very beginning of my life, I have been sinful, empty of good and filled with evil desires. What about that cross? King David wrote about this cross when he said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The Apostle Paul wrote of this cross when he said, The good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. How wretched I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? I hope everyone under the sound of my voice here this morning 
is feeling the weight of the crosses that you bear. I hope you feel the weight of despair. Because that's been the whole point. It's been the whole point. And it's the whole point of Jesus' teaching here to Peter and to his disciples and to the crowds. It's the whole point. Jesus is trying to bring us to despair. But it's only one side of the coin. First of all, carrying your cross means denying yourself. But second of all, it means running to Jesus' cross. Running to Jesus' cross. Look at verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You see, your crosses will crush you. They will. If all you do is grit your teeth, dig down deep inside, and try to bear up underneath them with all the strength you can muster, they will crush you. Not only the crosses of this life will crush you, but the ridiculously heavy crosses that Christ has laid on us will crush you. If you just try to grit and bear them. But that's not what it means to take up your cross. It does not mean grit your teeth and try your best. It does not. For Jesus' whole point here is that you do not have the power or the strength to carry your cross. You do not. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You can't even pick it up, let alone pick it up, put it on your shoulder, and carry it. You cannot do it on your own strength. We think, you know, if we could just get in a habit, a routine of having a quiet time every morning. To read our Bible and pray. Or if we can just get a better accountability partner. You know, when I have stinks, I need a better accountability partner. That can really hold my feet to the fire. If I could just do that. Or if I could just get in a better life group. The one I have, you know, the food is stale. They're not super friendly. I need a better life group. I got to get in a better life group and then I could do it. Then I could carry these crosses. And folks, listen to me. That right there, that mindset is the most important thing Jesus is telling you to deny. That right there is the biggest thing you must deny. You must kill. You must kill it right now. You must deny that you have any strength at all to follow Christ. Just give it up. Give it up. You don't have it in you. And neither do I. 
And that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the whole point Jesus is making to Peter. He's trying to crush him. He's trying to get Peter just to throw his hands up. And he's trying to get you and me to throw our hands up and say, we can't do this, so that he can say, exactly, exactly, exactly. You see, all this time, Peter thinks he's so capable. <laughs> he's so braggadocious, you know, he's so mouthy. He's got this figured out. He thinks he's so capable. He thinks he really has something to contribute to Jesus' kingdom. He thinks Jesus made a really good decision putting him on his team. And Jesus says, really, Peter? Really? Can you carry a cross, Peter? Can you carry it? Because that's where I'm going. So if you're going to be on my team, if you're going to follow me, that's where you're going to. Can you do that, Peter? And what did Peter do? He freaked out. <laughs> he freaked out. Jesus is rendering Peter and his disciples and the crowds and you and me, he is rendering us incapable by showing us what's really required to follow him. What is really required, not the watered-down version that you get in 99% of churches in America. No, no, no. The actual requirement to follow Christ is total denial of yourself and perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor. Never wavering even for one second. Perfect, perpetual love for God and neighbor is what is required. And folks, this is why our crosses are such a blessing. For once I come to the realization that I am totally incapable of doing this, that I am totally incapable of following even one of the Ten Commandments, let alone all ten. Can I just be honest for, with you for a second? I've lived in my neighborhood for a year now, almost exactly a year, and I don't know my neighbors' names. I don't know their names. <laughs> but Jesus says I'm supposed to love them as much as I love myself, and I don't even know their names. And once I come to that realization that not only do I not have perfect love for neighbor, I don't even know my neighbor's name, <laughs> don't you see that I am driven? I am driven to the nail-scarred feet of grace. I am driven to Jesus' feet, don't you see? The impossible burdens of loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself thrust me. It 
they thrust me at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, where I watch my Savior suffer for me, where I see Him fulfilling all the commands of God, where I see Him perfectly loving His God and perfectly loving His neighbor in my place. When I see Him do that, my heart is filled with peace and humility, genuine humility and gratefulness, such gratefulness for Him. You see, this is why the Son of Man must carry His cross, because we cannot carry ours. This is why Jesus can say that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It's because He has borne the heavy yoke. He has carried the heavy burden in our place. So, do you doubt whether God really loves you? Run to the cross. Do you struggle to follow God's commands? Run to the cross. Do you struggle to overcome sin? Run to the cross. Do you live with shame and regret? Run to the cross. Do you worry about tomorrow? Run to the cross. Do the accusations of Satan lie heavy on your heart? Run to the cross. Or do you tend to think of yourself as a pretty righteous person? I'm a pretty good old boy, you know what? Run to the cross. Run to the cross. Or do you think you are capable of doing anything Jesus commands? If so, run to the cross. And the cross will show you otherwise. My friends, no sin Failure, disaster, suffering, loss, or heartache can erase what God has done in Christ at the cross. Instead, all of those things that could lead us to question God's love and power, instead now do the opposite by driving us to the cross. Our pain, our suffering, the pain and suffering of our neighbor and our family rather than leading us to question God, lead us to worship God because they drive us to Jesus. And so now when my soul cries out, why God, why? When my heart is broken by loneliness or emptiness or pain, I now feel a nail-scarred hand on my shoulder and I hear these tender words in my ear my child 
neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. And I will shepherd you even through your darkest valleys. I will, for I have walked them myself. Oh, how wonderful it is that our crosses drive us to Jesus again and again and again. Let us then deny our own power, deny our own thinking, deny our own abilities, our own desires and wantings, and let us make our home at the feet of our crucified King. He has done it all. He has done what is required. He has done what we could never, ever, ever do. You see, there has not been one second of your life or my life where we have loved God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Not one second. But there was never one second of Jesus' life where he did not love his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not for one second. And by faith and faith alone, his perfect righteousness is credited to our account. Sola fide. Faith alone in Christ. As the hymn writer says, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Let's pray together.